0: talking podcast. I am JD Rieger, and as I'm sure you could guess by the title of this podcast, it's going to be a lot of talking. Uh, those of you who know me know how long I've been talking about doing this. Speaking of talking, and and that this podcast has been a long time in the works. So uh, before I get started, I just really quickly want to say thank you to Graham Burks who helped me get this thing going, and also wanted to thank my first guest Gary Parrish, who taped this interview with me back in the fall of 2012 and I have foolishly been sitting on it this whole time but I figured since March Madness is upon us and nearly over now that I better get this thing out while it's still relevant so anyway not that it wouldn't be irrelevant Gary at another time so enough of my rambling on to the interview here's Gary Parrish. some sort of tag at the beginning on my own so yeah, we can course. just kind of
1: usually do a day. like we just start it like hey whatever however you want to start it and then they go back in and and add the whatever you know yeah 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 so like, yeah whatever i'm ready when you are
0: okay so um i figured this is i made some notes here okay. since this is my first time um you know there's a saying you know with like music journalists that every uh like rock critic is a frustrated musician do you think that's true of sports journalists as well?
1: I actually, I don't believe that that's true. I, I think most of us probably get into the business because we had a love for sports at yeah. some point. And, and you know what? Most kids, at least guys, love sports on some level at some point in their lives. And you played, you played sports. Yes, though, right? I played baseball. Um, I was okay. I played soccer. I was pretty good but um i didn't play college sports or anything like that i played high school sports but i knew pretty early on that you know i'm five foot eight like what am i gonna do you know and so um but the way i got into this is is yes i love sports and people told me i was i could write because i was in advanced english classes and stuff like that yeah and so i tried to like genuinely just combine those two okay like they say I can write and I do love sports. I'll be a sports writer. And it's funny because when I was in high school, like everybody's got these dreams what they're gonna be, you know, like everybody's gonna be doctors or lawyers or actors or whatever. And then in reality, you know, you 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 sell medical supplies or so whatever you do. (laughs) And um or you change majors eight times. And I just sort of said from high school, like I'm gonna be a sports writer. And I went to college, like, what are we gonna be? I'm gonna be a sports writer. And then it it has sort of worked out. Now my job has expanded in a way that I couldn't have anticipated because some of this stuff was unimaginable. Now now I'm not just a sports writer. Like all I ever wanted to do was go to events, you know, write 800 words about them and and read it in the newspaper the next morning. Well, now now it's, you know, you can't just be a sports writer. You you know, you're a radio host, you're a radio guest, you're a television appearance. Like my contract with CBS now includes writing, TV appearances, radio appearances, blogging, podcasting, uh, a lot of these things that, you know, when I graduated college, which is 1999, you just couldn't.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of those mediums didn't, didn't even exist, exist. Yeah. right?
1: And so, I never wanted to be. Sometimes people ask, like, "Did you always want to be this?" No, I never. I always wanted to be this. I didn't even think it through that much, uh, but it's it's worked out, and I've been pretty pretty lucky. Was there a particular like writer or
0: publication
1: that inspired you early on? I wouldn't say inspired. Um, I just knew that I like. And honestly, I love sports more when I was you know 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 16 then i have 26 27 28 29 30 i don't sure have that same passion for sports anymore you, Well,
0: I, I want to get into this yeah. especially i mean do you think that covering sports has removed your yes. ability to enjoy sports on
1: some level yes i think you get too close to it you start to know the people involved and you read you recognize that they're they're just as messed up as you are you know that they yeah. they really are just people with problems and they really are you know they're not just heroes you see on television you know they're guys with with issues with problems and they're not always likable so i think sometimes getting so close to it makes you not enjoy um the sport as much just like i imagine you've met musicians at one point who you like admired and maybe they would come off the wrong way And you're like why is i got to be I mean, that, that
0: that's certainly true one yeah. time i opened for the for the violent films and they were totally jerks and it totally ruined that band for me forever mm. but at the same time like touring with bands i find that like developing relationships with bands mm-hmm. that you tour with makes you appreciate their music more like, for me, because I understand, like, oh, this dude is a real dude. Right. You know, and I can... Re- I understand. Now I, I get what he's saying I, when he makes that weird, obscure reference. Like, I can some, connect those
1: dots. There's some of that. Like, I, you know, you get to, like, really see what goes into it. It's not just... You know, okay, basketball game's on, they're going to play for 40 minutes, and then we'll see who wins. Somebody's going to make shots, somebody won't. You get to see all the detail, the attention to detail that goes into sort of creating what people are now watching. So I can yeah. I can appreciate that. I would just say this. I probably knew more about sports in terms of the names and the details when I was, you know, 15 as opposed but to what you I'm, have to know to when more I'm 35, now? you know what people make, I, I have don't to, you? because I write for CBS sports and I cover college basketball. I have to know college basketball inside and out. So yeah. if you want to talk about that for two hours and I hope you don't, uh, No, we, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't care. I don't care. I don't, I don't want your final four prediction or anything we, like, like, like I know that stuff like that. Cause it's, yeah. that is my job for radio people make the mistake all the time of assuming that that is what's important. Like, I'll bump in the guys at a bar, restaurant, whatever, and they come over and they're really nice. Like, hey man, you know, I, I wanna get into radio. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, you know you're good. Like, go for it, you know? <laughs> right. And I say, like, I know everything about sports. And I said, you know, that's not important. You know, knowing everything about sports is important. I don't talk about – I don't break down games very often. I don't talk about Tennessee's defensive line very often or, or, or what was the determining factor between Texas and Ole Miss. I tend to uh, talk about issues – and tell stories, and interview people. And so I'm not coming on the radio ever to be your baseball expert. If I want to discuss baseball, I'll bring on somebody who knows baseball the way I know college basketball, and I'll ask them questions and let them talk. But for the most part, the radio show involves me, for better or worse, being me, um, telling stories, asking questions, and talking about issues. So I won't discuss um, a Jets game. (laughs) <laughs> Probably. But yeah. the t phenomenon is something that can be discussed as an issue. And I won't discuss um, cycling ever. But the Lance Armstrong issue is something that I could talk about for hours. And that's sort of the way I approach it.
0: Well, I think a lot of times too, I mean, the stuff that draws me into your show and and also Chris's show is when you guys just talk about your personal life Mm -hmm. too, you know, like stories about getting into a fight with your kid or whatever, you know, like that's to me, like that, that humanizes the whole experience because you don't always want to hear people, you know, jets win or whatever, I know,
1: and I know, and like, that's what I like, you know, when I listen to people, I enjoy listening to people. Just tell a story I, I like a good storyteller and yeah. I don't know what I'm good at or what I'm not good at but but um, people have tend to the most feedback I get is when I'm just telling stories about something that either happened in my personal life or something that happened at the store or wherever and um, I don't think and here's the thing I never really go into a show like saying, okay, today we're going to talk about you know breakfast this morning that's never <laughs> the plan like right. I always have a plan a very a, a script to the show. Just like I have a script for this, but exactly. we've, we've
0: we've left it already. It's
1: exactly the way it goes, and yeah. and within my show, like I might so I'll open up the show to you know this afternoon, and I'll know exactly what I'm going to do. And but I might break away from it a minute and a half into it. So I never plan to go in and have that show. But when that happens, I think I've developed over the years the ability to recognize when it's working and when it isn't. When I can keep it going for ten minutes, twenty minutes. An hour and a half, as opposed to when I can—I uh, need to get away from it. A, a good example, I think it was last Friday. Um, you know, I have Jeff Cawkins on every day at five o'clock. And we never, ever, ever discuss what we're going to talk about before we go on the air. And sometimes we talk about sports, and sometimes we just talk about whatever happ- whatever just comes up. So the other day we had no—I haven't spoken to him since he was on five o'clock the day before, and he came on, and I said, hey, "You know, Jeff Hawkins, Lee sports comic, commercial Pill, Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Like whatever." He said, uh, "How are you?" And my answer to that was, <laughs> uh, "I'm great, man. You got Kate Middleton pictures out, so like what about?" And then I got no complaints. I haven't seen those yet, right? Well, you should. I can email them to you. Right. And um, <laughs> I and. And from that, he goes, well, like, I want to ask you about these. And now we're off on Kate Middleton. And the premise becomes, even if you're great looking, and she is, she's a beautiful Mm woman, um... You're you're Fit for a king. Yeah, absolutely. Your <laughs> your privacy is invaded. No question. Nobody denying that. Sure. But like, if somebody took nude pictures of me, I would like shoot myself because I would be like, in, like I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a mess. I'm disgusting. But like, if you're Kate Middleton, do you go, hey, that's wrong what they did to me? But man, I do look good, so it's not the worst thing in the world. And well, that, you got to think
0: if people are trying to take nude pictures of you, that yes, you're probably doing something
1: right you in would, your life. You would think so. So the, that that conversation right there turned into a. <laughs> 45 minute conversation <laughs> yeah. that I must have had. You know, uh, I can't tell you how many people come up to me over the past weekend or email me or text me or tweet me about it. People genuinely enjoyed that. And that's always been the way I've done my show. When I first got over here to 92.9, which was about two and a half years ago, I'm doing the show. I'm just like, I'm just being me. I'm just doing what I do now. And I remember one time they. Come into me like they want to have a meeting. Like, hey, let's discuss the show. And my bosses, um, in a very nice and not pushy way, but tried to make suggestions about the show. You know, uh-huh. maybe you need to talk more about sports. Maybe you need to focus more on the Cardinals and you know, whatever. And.
0: I can I, tell you're very interested in the Cardinals. Yes, just
1: from, from, I, I was a little offended. Like I was at first, <laughs> like I was offended on some level, and I said, um, "But I'm not going to be stupid," because at the same time, like I can remember reading a story about Conan O'Brien, and I'm not comparing myself to Conan O'Brien, but to this extent, he took his show to 10:30, and really smart people said, "You need to change this and that because you've got a different audience now," and he just said, "No, I'm going to. Do, I'm doing my show. I'm not going to listen to that," and he rejected all of the consulting and all of the information and it ultimately cost him that job he had to go back now he's on tbs and nobody watches him anymore and i said and this is essentially what i told my bosses i said listen if you wanted somebody to just come on and talk about sports there's like a bunch of people you could have hired like i can give you some names like i thought you hired me because you want because you had listened to me on another station for two years and that's what you wanted i said so let's just like let's try this let me do what i do And let's get the feedback and the ratings and see if it's and if it doesn't I'm not going to be stupid then we'll adjust but give me a shot to do it my way because the other way is just not enjoyable for me and uh, and they were nice enough to do that and it it worked for whatever reason in every way that you measure those types of things advertising money ratings. Attention! Yeah. It, it worked, and they've left me uh, alone since. But uh, so you
0: don't feel like you've had to make too many changes to the show I since really, you moved?
1: I really have not changed me. Um, now, keep in mind, when I got here, it was the first time I'd ever hosted a show by myself. Yeah. The old show was Jeff Calkins and I together, and so I, I remember sort of it I, well, I learned on the job. I sort of got here and like learned, but I I sort of the one thing I did was trust my instincts. Like what? Like I know what's funny and what's not. Typically, I know what makes me laugh, I know when I'm telling a story and they're not always great, I, but I know when they're not great. And I know even when I do a show, um, there are times I walk out of here like, Ugh. like I can't, like I just want tomorrow to hurry up and get here because I can get another one done. Right. Because I'm, it, the most recent one is the one that I'm consumed with. And uh, like I, I, I know, like, you know but people sometimes say, ah, oh, you're bragging, and so they say, oh, you're too much. Like I know when it's good and I know when it's bad. Just like with a column. I just filed a column, right, as you walked in. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> like I, and I'm not. Doesn't I'm not telling well, you. I'm not. I'm not. And, ki- and and you're. Are you okay with it? Just being okay. <laughs> no. Uh, like well. Like I needed to get it done, and it's it's fine. Like you know. And I'll probably have a. a a harsher opinion of it than, than, than someone who just reads it. But I know when, I guess what I'm saying is I know when I write a good column I know when yeah. I write a bad column and i I've, I think I've developed the ability to sort of know when what I'm doing is good and when I'm bad. And, and, and I know that with shows. And so, uh, I've trusted myself to just to keep doing what I'm doing. And, and as long as it, it keeps working, then uh, I'll keep doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, Let's let's go way way back now. Okay. So you you're in high school and yeah. you've decided you're going to be a sports journalist. Mm-hmm. How exactly do you set about making that happen?
1: You know what? I was naive. Like I didn't if I were if I talked to an 18-year-old kid today and he told me his plan and it it we, can, we can act that out right now. Actually, it, it, I can be it, like, "Oh yeah, okay." Is, so, Mr. like, Parish? right? Well, like, if he told me his plan and it, and it was my actually my plan at eighteen, I would yeah. say, "Yo, that's that's not the way this works. But this was my plan. Okay, so I actually tore my ACL and my uh, knee. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, playing baseball, I've done.
0: I've torn an ACL in my knee. rocking like out on stage. Oh, well, no, mine was turning a double play, so yours, yours was probably much cooler. No, I was at the map room, and uh, I was just like in the rock stance, the course. Mark Aiken <laughs> rock stance or whatever, oh, yeah. and I like took a like a really quick turn, oh. to, and it just like you, you knew immediately. Oh, I, I like, knew immediately, and I just hit the ground, oh, wow. and the and then of course like the the guitar player of the band at the time, I was playing bass. He gets over, he's like, get up,
1: faggot! You
0: know,
1: all this guy. <laughs> Well, that, like, he has he, no idea. My guy, my, same deal. Like, my, and I always see these basketball players like tear their ACLs and they sort of yeah. just lay there and then they get up and they sort of limp off the court. And I'm like, all I remember is like hurting like hell. Like, I, like, yeah. I had to be carried off the field. And it my felt sickening. I played second base and my center, center fielder ran in, a buddy of mine, and he was like, hey, uh, 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 hey, uh, get up, brush it off. I'm like, what do you mean brush it off? My, my, my knee has exploded. And so, um, though I knew, like, because I'm not real stupid, that I was never going to play professional baseball, that was sort of the moment where I like, whoa, like, I'm not playing, for the first time since I'm four years old, I'm not playing sports now. Yeah. I'm just, and, and this is probably uh, representative of the rest of my life. Like, I'm not going to play, like, I'm not going to feel You're gonna my You're going to be days. the guy with the bad knee. Yeah, I'm not going to, well, like, it was for the first time that my days, really, since I was like four or five years old, had not been filled with me playing some sport like that's the way, that was my hobby those were that's what i did wake yeah. up what are we doing today we're playing baseball today playing soccer today playing basketball today whatever and th- suddenly i'm not doing anything for nine months i didn't do anything and i said okay well i better start figuring this out then i said okay i'm gonna be a sports writer for all the reasons i told you earlier so I said, okay, how so did, do I do this? So did you
0: write for the school paper? Yes, and the, Maroon, the I was like, at Horn Lake High School. Work do, on the yearbook and all that stuff. I was the sports
1: stuff. editor of the Maroon Tribune nice. at Horn Lake High School. And then, um, like the DeSoto Tribune, which is still a weekly paper down in DeSoto County, they needed you know, people to cover high school football. I said, let's let me try it. They said, well, you're in high school. Well, let me try it. Who else you got? You know? yeah. and at that, so then I do that, and then I go to the University of Memphis. And here's why I went to the University of Memphis. I had it in my head. Because I'd read Jeff Hawkins every day when I was in high school, you know, and, and all those guys, Zach McMillan and Phil Stukenborg, a lot of the Ron Higgins, a lot of the guys who are still there. And I said, All right, here's the plan. I'm gonna go to the University of Memphis, I'm gonna work at that campus newspaper, and I'm going to, um, you know, cover University of Memphis events. At that point, I'll be around Jeff Hawkins. I'll be around Zach McMillan, and I'll be so and I'll be at the same events that they're at. And I'll be so good at that that by the time I get out of college, the commercial pill would want to hire me because I'm gonna have known them and develop that relationship. And then I'll go from the commercial pill and I'll cover Tiger basketball and then that was really as far as I thought like that'd be the the pinnacle of my career that's all I wanted to do yeah. Then one day I cover Tiger basketball for the commercial appeal and that's silly A because you don't get out of college and get hired at a newspaper like the commercial appeal it's very very rare um, and, and so but like I didn't know any better I really just thought that's the way it would work
0: and but it seems like that's kind of the, the those are the people it works out for the people who just kind of blindly you just do don't it. know any better yeah yeah who just do it regardless well
1: like Vernon on his show he had Samantha Steele on the other day a girl who now works for ESPN she's young she's like 26 years old and she's like the new Game Day she's on Game Day she's college football yeah. halftime reporter and all that and Vernon sort of asked her the same question and she said it sounds stupid but like this is you know this is what I did she said I want I decided I wanted to be in broadcasting after college so I moved to New York because I just figured like that's go to what me. you do yeah you just move to New York get yeah. into broadcasting. And she said, then I knew I wanted to be in sports broadcasting, so I got a job at the. ESPN Zone in Times Square as the hostess because I figured ESPN people would come in there. Sure, like that is the dumbest thing in the world. But you know how she got her internship? Hey, she's very pretty, so sure. that helps. But um, yeah, ESPN people actually came in there, and then like she was like, "Oh, I want to get into broadcasting." You know, here's some stuff I've done in college, and then they were like, "Oh yeah, well you need to call this person, maybe try to get an internship." And it like it worked. Now it, the story is dumb, and it doesn't work for people, but it worked for her. And my story is similarly dumb, uh, but it it worked for me. But I also had a lot of luck that. That sort of you know helped me go from one place to the next, but I never, I, I never worked at the small newspaper like a lot of people do. I never had to move away like some people do. I was very close to doing it one time, but uh, like like I look back on it and it's, I'd like to think some of it's because I'm talented. I don't want to dis- discount myself. No, obviously it is. But like a lot of it is luck. Like a lot of it is really I, I've been lucky in right right place right time. Yeah, you know, to that point. So. I, I broke some stories when I was at the com- when I was at you know in college, and I started freelancing for the Commercial Appeal. What like, kind of stories did you break? Well, the first story I did, it's funny. I um, so I'm at first day in, on campus at the at the University of Memphis, Daily Houndsman, and we've been working on this back to school issue. We've been working on it for like weeks, week and a half, two weeks. And you get it done, and like you walk on campus, and everybody's there first day of classes, and there's the Daily Hounds. And you pick yeah, it yeah. up, and your names in there, and your pictures in there, and you're like, "Wow, this is great!" Just feel really good about it, you know? Like we've produced something. And uh, then I went to my classes, whatever they were, and I, you know, noon, and I pop into the journalism, the newspaper room in the journalism uh, building. And I remember Candy Justice, who was the person in charge of the newspaper, one of my professors. She said, "So, what do you got for tomorrow?" And I was like, "Well, what?" She so was like, well, <laughs> "She was like, well, what do you got for tomorrow? What are you writing for tomorrow?" And up until that moment, it had never occurred to me, even though the thing is called the Daily Helmsman. (laughs) That you had to write one every day. Yeah. Like, I just never, I don't know why. It's just like stupid. And so I was like, I was freaking out. I didn't know what to do. And at the same time, I had to, I had lost my class schedule, obviously, because I lose everything. And this was a time, I'm going to date myself a bit, where you could just go online and look at your class schedule. You actually had to go to the bursar's office and like get them to print it out. So I'm standing over there in line to get the bursar's office. I'm panicking. I don't know what to do. But I got, first thing I had to do is get my schedule. I don't even know where I'm supposed to be tomorrow. Yeah so i get the um and i'm listening to people and they're just walking up to the window and they're like um they're like um uh you know saying their name uh, last name jones first name tiffany okay here you go boom and there was this kid named jimmy snap hunter basketball player (laughs) yeah and he was a great prospect but he had great problems and nobody it had never been reported like where you know he's gonna go to school what he's doing and obviously school's starting because i'm on campus now and it just sort of clicked in my head i don't even know why to this day i was like i wonder like if he somehow got into school here it had not been reported i walked straight up to that window and they said last name i said hunter they said first name i said jimmy j-a-i-m-m-i-e and they said oh print it out for me class schedule so now i got jimmy snap hunters class schedule Whoa, that was easy! And wow, he's in school. So now I'm trying to call. And wow.
0: That was ridiculous that they would just hand that over without yes. any kind of ID no, or nothing, anything. Nothing. Yeah.
1: they were just. I think they the lines were so long first day glad They were just like, whatever. What's your name? Here, get out of here. Yeah. And so I had this, and so now I've got a story, and I can remember. You know, then Tick Price is the coach. So I'm trying oh, to call I Tick I was going to ask who was the Tick coach Price. When, when
0: you started covering the yeah, team. so
1: I'm trying to get in touch with Tick Price. Can't uh, <laughs> get in touch with them. And uh, finally get in touch with somebody. I don't remember how it went down. But ultimately wrote for the next day uh, that Jimmy Snap Hunter was given a presidential exemption. He was the only the second basketball player in history of the school to get one. The first being Penny Hardaway. Of course. And so then the commercial pill had to follow up on my story. And... Talk radio was talking about my story, which was like, it's my second day on school. Like, it was like, again, lucky. I don't even know why that clicked in my head. And um, Dennis Freeland, who was the editor of the Memphis Flyer. I remember that name. Was yeah, was really nice to me. And he reached out to me um, and he said, uh, hey, I'd like for you to do, I'd met him at a football game, like subsequently, like two weeks later, Memphis football game. And he was like, oh, hey, I've been wanting to meet you. There's a great story and all this stuff. It's really nice. And he said, I would love for you to write about Snap Hunter um, for the Flyer. And so, like, a month later, I was writing a, not a cover story, but an article for the Memphis Flyer. Yeah. And then I used that to start, you know, then I'm building a portfolio. I've got the stuff from high school. I've got stuff from the campus paper. I've got stuff from the Memphis Flyer. And I use all that to... Start freelancing for the commercial appeal, like covering high school basketball games, football games, volleyball games, softball games, anything they wanted.
0: At some point, do you think to yourself, do I even need to finish college?
1: Well, it, it, that never occurred to me. Although, at this point, like there's a guy who works for me at CBS. He's a young yeah. guy. He got yeah, hired yeah. to cover recruiting for us. He dropped out of college too, because he like had the job. Like, all right, I don't need this anymore. Now, he might go back and finish up one day. But he is yeah. not a college graduate. That it, Things were not as accessible as they are now like you can sort of because of social media the internet you can sort of blogs you can create your own in you know your own uh brand now it was much yeah. more difficult to do back then so um so i'm trying okay like now i'm gonna cover the right for the commercial pill and the commercial pill started using me non-stop like all the time and so like i can remember like you know, telling my dad like that, like as soon as I can get out of this stupid college, like they're going to hire me for sure. <laughs> because like they use me all the time. They love me. They right. love me. They love my work. They love everything about me. Here's the reality of the situation that I was too naive to understand. They had to pay me $45 an article. Yeah. I was cheap labor. Of course. Yeah, I was, You know, I I was just incredibly cheap labor. They don't want to send one of their full time uh, employees out to cover a softball game. Parish (laughs) would do it for forty bucks. You know, and so, but I didn't know that at the time. I was just you know, but I. But they did hire you. But well, here's why. So then I got an internship there after my senior year of college, or I, I like finished up my normal spring semester, and I was like six hours short of graduating. I had yeah. to take those in the subsequent summer. At the same time, I had an internship at the Commercial Appeal. Three-month internship turned into a six-month internship, and then it got to a point with Scripps Howard, the company that owns the Commercial Appeal, right. that um, there's some rule, like they can't extend it past six months. So like at six months, that's it, they have to hire you, and they were not gonna hire me. Not because they didn't like me, but there was no space. And I, This is another thing I never realized about, or I never thought through. It didn't matter how good you are. If the newspaper did not have a spot open, like it's a big corporation. Right. They right. just can't hire somebody because they want to hire somebody. And that was even the case in 1999. Certainly the case now. Oh, my gosh. And um, now you're just like, you can keep your job at a newspaper. And with about two weeks before my six-month internship at the Commercial Pill was to be over with yeah and i was looking at taking a job in orange county california for eighteen thousand dollars covering whatever sports i could that sort of was the only thing i kind of had on the table um one of the prep writers at the commercial pill a guy named kevin gorman who now is at the Pittsburgh uh paper okay he got into an argument with the sports editor and like a bad (laughs) argument like you know f you and what and he threw his name tag at the boss like it got bad you can't do that they fired him sure and i was sitting at the cubicle next to his cubicle they had to hire somebody and because high school football was about to start the summer was ending you know whatever and they hired me but i still believe to this day if kevin gorman doesn't get into that fight with john stam who was the executive sports editor at the time I would have never got that job out of college at the Commercial Appeal, and then I don't know how my my career would have unfolded because 18 months after that is when I broke the big Albert means recruiting scandal that sort of propelled my career. And and that's where
0: I sort of first, you know, heard your name is because of that, that whole thing.
1: Yeah. But like without that fight between those two people, I'm never in a position to uncover the Albert means recruiting scandal, at which point I don't win those awards. I don't get that notoriety at which point I'm not able to leverage my prep writing job into the tiger basketball job. At which point I'm never covering John Calipari's Memphis Tigers, at which point CBS would never consider hiring me to cover college basketball for them because I wouldn't even have been on anybody's radar. Cause I would have never covered John Calipari at the university of Memphis. Like I do think, and that's where I think luck comes into it. You know, like yeah. some of that was just, I've been fortunate.
0: When you got promoted,
1: was Cal already the coach? Or, no. Um, or were yes, they doing yes, the yes. Search? no, he was, no, he was already the, the coach. This, I think I covered the tigers from 2002 to 2006, but it was Rodney Carney's career, Rodney right. Carney's freshman year to Rodney Carney's senior year. That's the way <laughs> that's, it worked out. Yeah and um, That's funny. Yeah, so when I got the job, he was he was the coach, um, and uh, and then yeah, CBS called me after the 2006 season, and and it went from there.
0: Your personal interactions with John
1: Calipari, because you know mm-hmm.
0: I, I actually did I covered the uh, Tigers for two years for this goofy like rivals website. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess we saw each oh, other, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, backstage or whatever yeah. a couple times, and. Um, you know, I always. You know, everyone always says that Cal is such a jerk or whatever. That he, but he was always like super nice to me. Did you? What was your interaction he, with Calipari like?
1: You know what? People always assume, and still to this day, I think because people who read me now still know that I covered John for four years. They still yeah. know where I live. Yeah. And so there's two opinions out there. One, and this is the one from the Kentucky fans, is that I hate John Calipari because because he didn't treat me right when he was here.
0: And you're a Memphis Homer. Right, and all yeah, that stuff, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah.
1: The other opinion is that I love John Calabari because right. I spent four years every day <laughs> yeah. with him, right? And the reality is there has never been a point where I've been, since I've been established at CBS and got to know other coaches from around the country. Yeah, There's never been a point where John and I hated each other and there's never been a point where we were really really close. I guess what I would say is we were never as close as some people think, and we've never been as far apart as some people think now we don't talk every day or anything like that anymore um, but he has always been we haven't always agreed on things yeah, and we still don't and I hold him accountable i I, 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 I hope as well as anybody else does in college basketball but as um, much as you can as I much guess. as you can yeah um, uh, but um we, we've never, you know, but even in our disagreements, he's always been pretty resilient. Like, he's never just like stone, like, like we're not... Now, we've gone two months without speaking before. It seems like he's too smart to do that. Like, at well, some point, it, he
0: would have to know, like, it's a, it works against him to not talk to a major college, yeah, even if it was but, just but, a local uh, But even
1: now, he's sort of got to a level, certainly at Kentucky, where he doesn't need anybody anymore. I mean, he's got yeah. his Twitter feed. He's got his I, website. He can sort of get his message out in a lot of different ways. So, I think he probably needs people like me less now than he ever has but I I guess this is a story and I don't know what it means exactly but I can tell you how I interpreted it Uh, Sports Illustrated was gonna do a big article on him a few years ago and they did and um, the writer calls me And he says, uh, hey, I I I want to talk to you. I'm working on a story on Cal. And I thought he was just calling me for background because he knew I used to cover the Tigers. And I said, yeah. I said, said, so where would you get my number? I said, so did Luke Wynn give you my number? Because Luke's a buddy of mine that works at Sports Illustrated. He said, no, I got your number from Cal. And I said, "Um, really? I said, what? He said, Cal told me I should talk to you. (laughs) And I said, why? And he said, because he told me that you call him on his bullshit and that you would be honest with me about him and that you would be willing to talk about you would be able to talk about both sides of john calipari and i took that as a compliment because i i took it as an acknowledgement from john and he's never actually told me this but i took it as an acknowledgement from john that um i'm not one of those people who thinks he's the devil Right. And I'm also not one of those people who thinks he's the best thing ever to, you know, Kentucky. I see what he is, which is a very complex and complicated individual, but I'm able to see both sides. He is on some level, some of the worst things that people think about him. That stuff is real, but is he, he is also is he that much worse than that many other college no, coaches. No, I mean, he operates on another level. Yeah, but he doesn't do much that other guys don't do. He just does it on another level. But but there are also some really remarkably good qualities that he has that I'm able to see those too. I think a lot of people with John, it's either you love him because he's your coach or you hate him because he represents everything that's wrong with college basketball. I, I think both sides of that argument. Are valid up until a point, but both sides of those argument exist, and uh, and I think I've been decent at, at being able to to recognize both of them and praise him when he should be praised, yeah, and hold him accountable when he needs to be held accountable. And I I think though he doesn't always like that because we'll cuss each other out, and uh, I think on some level, deep down, he he kind of respects it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. How is a uh, Passner different? He's just easier, you know, like you don't ever have to worry about Josh calling and cussing you out. Like, right. Cause it, he doesn't curse because he doesn't curse. <laughs> uh,
0: but also he's is just, that real. I mean, is know, that whole like, no, duty thing? no, like, yes,
1: it's real. Like that's who he is. Like he, Josh is genuinely like the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, yeah. And some people use that against him. Um, some people take advantage of it. You know, I would lie to you. Know, I'd be lying to you and I don't make a habit of like ripping Josh. Cause I don't really think there's much to rip him about. Sure. Um, but, um, if there were ever a moment where, listen, I got to go at Josh Paston today, I wouldn't hesitate. (laughs) The the, the way I would, I might hesitate to do it just because he's such a genuinely nice guy, but I wouldn't hesitate to do it for the same reasons that if you were living in Memphis during the Calipari era, people might hesitate to do it, which is John will come at you and John will try to bury you. Like right. John will try to get boosters to buy out your radio station and fire you. If but
0: anything, it seems like Pastor's the kind of guy who was just like, if you said something, he'd, he would like call you and like want to talk. Yes, he would want to na- engage you. Like, like I cannot not, you know.
1: overstate. He's just a decent guy. He's just a decent man. is, th- is there a room
0: for that in college basketball for well, just like a totally straight up decent guy? I mean, can that guy really thrive? That in guy the world can, of Calipari's. That
1: guy can really thrive. Now, I'm not telling you that he doesn't also know the business he's in and right. knows how to swim with the Sharks when he needs to swim with the Sharks and get things done in the recruiting game. Because there's a perception done.
0: that he's kind of this naive, nice guy. He's not naive. Okay. He's a nice guy. He okay. also
1: knows what business he's in, and he knows what he gets paid to do. Right. He gets paid to win basketball games. And so, you know, you don't recruit the level of players he's been able to recruit, first at Arizona, then at Memphis. Sure. Um, without understanding the business you're in and you yeah. can interpret that however you want to interpret it. Uh, but, but he's like a genuine, like where I think, you know, Josh, let's take the, the same scenario in recruiting. Josh would do what he had to do work in the gray area, push the limits to get something done because he knows that that's what you have to do to win at this level. John would do all those same things, but he might do them also because he wants to crush you. <laughs> because he wants to hurt you. Right. Because he wants to, you know, like be he's vindictive and, and he can be all those things. Um the best story I can tell you about Josh to, to to sort of underline how just he's a genuinely nice dude is like like if you take a bad loss on the road the last Which thing he's you, certainly done. Oh, he has done that, right? <laughs> the last thing you want to do is hear from anybody, really. But certainly, like you know, fans bitching about you, and whether it's message boards, on the you know, radio host bitching about you, whatever. Does he pay attention to that you stuff? Oh, he pays a lot of attention to it, and that's like I've told him before, like like to stop. You need to not worry. Yeah. You don't have to. If he has a shortcoming, it is that he wants everybody to like and understand everything he does at all times, and that that doesn't that's just impossible. And that doesn't just go for like the guy who works for CBS who happens to have a radio show in town or Chris Vernon or George, like anybody, like if you, I mean,
0: even you can't achieve that.
1: Well, how I I gave up on that. How could he, but he tries because he wants that so badly. And I've actually told him that it's not a good, like that's going to wear you out at some point. Right. But like, I, I remember one time where he gets back in the office, like they took a bad loss on the road. He's back in the office the next morning and he's checking his work voicemail. And you can kind of just, like, get to his voicemail if you want to get to it. Right. And there's, like, a message from this, like, you know, it must have been in her 80s lady. She's like, Coach, Pastor, this is Debbie from wherever. And, you know, and, <laughs> and you guys only shot. You know, y'all sure didn't miss a whole bunch of free throws last night. And that <laughs> looked like, to me, it cost you the game. And, you know, you need to work on that free throw shooting. And I know how to make kids shoot better free throws because my, <laughs> my husband, rest in peace, you know, once upon a time was like a four minute message, right? Yeah. Poor lady. She's just got nothing going on. So her does life. he
0: have him out there shooting free throws because of this?
1: He calls the lady back and has a lengthy conversation with her. Not because he's trying to get free throw advice. Right. And honestly, like I get messages from people all the time, but like, I can't return them all. I just, you can't, I cannot let my life be consumed by that kind of stuff. Sure. And yet... He probably spent 20 minutes on the phone with this lady. And it was 20 minutes that I don't think I have time for. Maybe it was 20
0: minutes he could have been recruiting, Whatever. insert player but here. But it mattered
1: to him that he could not bear the thought of that woman thinking that the Memphis basketball coach, she took the time to find his number, to call and leave a detailed message. He couldn't bear the thought that that woman might think he didn't care enough to call her back. So he calls her back. And that's, that's who he is in a nutshell. Like the act, like, I'm, again, I would never try to, I don't use the word squeaky clean to, to describe any college basketball coach because I don't think you can be. Yeah. But in terms of just being, even the people who work in this business, some of them are good people and some of them are bad people. He's genuinely a good dude. Like, and I think that's why people here, Uh, root for him so much there were even Memphis fans I think during the Calipari era who like didn't mind seeing John Calipari lose every once in a while because he was just he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way yeah totally Um, I I think it's almost the opposite is true with Josh even people who don't necessarily consider themselves Memphis basketball fans don't mind see, seeing Josh do well because they've seen that side of him now for for you know roughly four years. And I think
0: they give him more of a break when he loses than they would give Cal, yes. especially considering the level of talent that sure. Cal had.
1: Yes, um, and, and you know I, I think that people recognize at least the savvy Memphis fans yeah. recognized. A lot of people didn't want to follow Cal. That's why they hired Josh Pastor. No, I
0: remember there was I remember when they hired him there was backlash. You know they're, oh, they're going to bring this carpetbagger. Yeah, or, but they know, offered whatever. the job
1: to like eight different people before that. Like nobody. People People are like i'm not like i had one coach who was offered the job how did they ever get him in the
0: first place i mean it was <laughs> just because he was so down and out from the nba thing i mean john he
1: actually I had this conversation with somebody last night um he when he got fired from the nba he was an assistant for the sixers with larry brown for a little while after that yeah and when he decided he was going to jump back into college basketball he was just going to take best job available. And and at that moment- And it was really
0: Memphis yes, at that time? because
1: you know you had a, a, at the time it was the pyramid, but you had a fan base that obviously, you, you had a yeah. program that had won historically, uh, a, a, an arena, a good conference affiliation. People don't remember, like that was, Louisville was in that league, Cincinnati was in that league, Marquette was in that league, DePaul was in that league. And then, um, and, and it was sort of like, hey, if it's good enough for Rick Pitino, then why isn't it good enough for John Calipari? That league. Right. And then you had uh, local recruits everywhere. And, um and i think this was important at one point larry brown um was seriously considered the um seriously considered taking the memphis job many many years ago because he's basically considered every job in the history of coaching basketball yeah and so when john asked him about it he was like that's a great job people care about it there they'll invest there and uh so i think memphis got him because they took best job available but i talked to a coach one time during you know, John leads for Kentucky. They're trying to find a coach. And this guy's name was being bounced around. Sure. And he said, Gary, you live there. You tell me. I got one question for you. And I answered honestly. I said, all right. He said, what happens when I only, following John Calipari, what happens when I only win 29 games? <laughs> like, are the fans going to go crazy? And I said, yeah, probably. Because they got, and the expectation, like, people, like John and them won, like, we went four straight years without losing the Conference USA game. Right. But like, they never lost. And so, I think the savvy fans know that that's unrealistic. And even Josh would tell you. I
0: mean, even it would, it seems like it'd even be unrealistic to expect Calipari to be able to keep that level up
1: at Memphis forever. <laughs> well, I think he, he probably could have. You, you know? think so? I mean, he's a different animal. I mean, he's okay. doing it at Kentucky now. I mean, he just, well, got, that's Kentucky. Huh? He just ran through Kentucky the same way, uh, the SEC, the same way he used to run through Conference USA. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a different that's level dude. But Josh has never shied away from that. Some people would take the job and go, um, we're going to come in. We're going to keep it going. And Josh has never said that stuff. Josh said, we're going to come in. We're going to do the best we can do. But do not hold me to the Calipari standard because nobody you were going to try to hire, they could not keep up what John was doing. That's a different right. deal. And I've always tried to tell Memphis fans, compare Josh to Dana Kirk, compare him to Larry Finch, to Gene Bartow, to Mo Iba, any of those guys, but erase the nine John Calipari years, particularly the last four, because that's not real. That's right. not, that's like, a something that like people got upset with me a little bit when John left here, because I said the best four years of Tiger basketball that that it will ever be they just happened you'll never get back to that level of success doesn't mean you can't someday win a national championship but four years of just straight dominance like that you'll never have that again The people are like well but the reality is you won't uh what he did here is it's it's not doable for for almost anybody else i would i, mean, I would actually like, say maybe anybody it's else. like
0: unlv or something in target that's
1: a different day that was like a, a a, a picture in time that you can't get it back. Was, yeah. Now it is also, you know, labeled a certain way now because of the Derrick Rose situation and sure. the vacated final four. But in terms of just dominating college basketball, dominating opponents that, that, that will never happen again. And anybody expecting Josh or anybody else to keep that going is it's, 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 it's unfair and unrealistic.
0: So, so we'll, this will be my last tiger question. We'll, and we'll get back to Gary Parish questions, mm. but, um, how long do you think that old Pastner sticks around?
1: He will stick around um, as long as every almost every other coach sticks around any other job. And that is up until the moment where he's presented with a better job. You know, that's what people do. Yeah. You know, like I've always told people, I was happy at the commercial appeal. Could I've stuck around there. I was there for seven years. Could have been there for eight. I got presented with a better opportunity. So I changed jobs. I was happy at... AM 730. I could have stayed there for, well, I don't know if I can stay there for seven years. It, does, it, does that place even <laughs> exist anymore? I'm not anymore? sure. I'm not, I have no I don't idea. Know. Uh, but um, <laughs> I got offered a better job. And so I left. And yeah. I think basketball coaches, though they're criticized for doing that, they don't do anything diff- much different than what most of us do. And so John Calipari was here. You know, up until, and people are always worried. Like, oh, he's going to leave from year one. I ah, he's not going to be yeah. here long. He's been here nine years. The reason he was here nine years is because it took nine years for him to get offered a job that was better than the Memphis job. That's Kentucky. Kentucky's a job better than Memphis job. So he left. The good thing for Memphis fans is that there aren't really many better jobs than the Memphis job. There are some that are comparable. Uh. But I don't think you just leave Memphis to go to NC State because right. you know, Josh had that opportunity. I don't think you leave Memphis to go to, you know, uh, uh, SMU. Josh had that opportunity. Um, I think for Josh, he's he's from Texas. University of Texas opens up; they want Josh Pastner. Probably look at that. He's an Arizona grad. Arizona opens up; they look at Josh Pastner. He'd look at that. Uh, UCLA, you know, he he recruited in the pack. What is now the Pac-12? He's, you know, he graduated from Pac-12 school. Yeah, that's LA. It's UCLA basketball, and he'd have to look at that. Uh, but the list of schools that he would actually leave for, or any Memphis coach would leave for, is probably no more than ten. And so. If he is ever in a position to get one of those jobs, it means he's got this thing rolling in a pretty big way. And so yeah. and uh, I always tell people, like, don't worry about that. I don't think he's going to lose so much that he gets fired. I don't believe that because I think he's he, he knows how to recruit and how to get players. And if you can get players, you can usually keep your job. Um, uh, but – you know, worrying every single off season that he he's going here, he's going there like LSU. He could have gone to LSU. He didn't, you know, that LSU is not a better job. And so, um, I think Memphis people are just conditioned to worry every year,
0: no matter who's the coach. Yes. Yes."
1: And like, uh, yeah. And, and, but I also think that maybe Memphis fans and, and keep in mind, there's a difference. I'm not saying Memphis is a top 10 program in America, but it's a top 10 job because you have everything you want. FedEx money, they pay you. Like, Sold out arena. Yeah. Beautiful arena, beautiful practice facility. There are five top 100 recruits in the country in this city right now, in this class. Um, six top 100 recruits if you count the Melrose High kid who's now in junior college. Right. Seven if you count Robert Hubbs who's from 90 minutes from here. So what do you look for when you're a coach? Can you win? Yeah, you can win. Can you get players? There's players right here. There's a natural recruiting base. Uh, do the fans support you? Twelve months a year, I could talk about college basketball every day on my show if I wanted to, and people would listen.
0: Um, How uh, much does the presence of the Grizzlies like add into the like the There luster was a fear, the,
1: I think, at one point that it would hurt, but it very clearly hasn't. Now, seems
0: like sharing a, a, a facility with an NBA team would be pretty attractive well, to a young you, kid. You, you know?
1: can yeah, you, well, you sell what you have to sell. If you don't have yeah. it, you don't mention it. But once you do, you talk about you know uh, Chris Wallace, general manager of the Grizzlies, is at all your games. You know uh, Zach Randolph is going to be over at the Fence Center working out. He is like Zach Randolph also over at the Finch Center working out all the time. These yeah. are things that that can be appealing to kids. And like, you know, where I don't actually believe that, you know, well, if you go there, the NBA is not going to find you. I mean, from Steph Curry to um, Damian Lillard, like, you know, you can be at Davidson or Weber State. If you're good enough, the NBA will find you. Yeah, uh, But you can sell the other side of that, which is you are playing in an NBA arena in an NBA City. Like, there is no hiding. If you are good enough to be in the NBA, they're going to see you all the time they're in the same building all the time and right. that is absolutely something Josh uses
0: well speaking of getting opportunities and taking them when they come up I want to know which came first for you like uh, expanding into radio or expanding into covering like national covered you know, college basketball for CBS you know
1: what happened is that uh, when I was at the commercial pill and you become the Tiger beat writer it yeah. sort of goes back to what I was just talking about it's such a big deal here Tigers are. Yeah, yeah. I became a guest on a lot of people's shows I remember Vernon when he first moved here he had a a nighttime show on sports 56, like on Friday nights, which I never listened to that, but my
0: grandmother was a huge Vernon. That's how I, that's actually how I met Vernon is that, um, my grandmother was such a big fan that she had me like cart her out to one of his like live remotes at like blue coast burrito. Oh yeah, yeah. And then we talked and uh,
1: so he had like a a show. I want to say it started like at six o'clock on Friday nights or seven. Like nobody's listening. Like, like who would be listening? And I'm about the same. Right. Your grandmother. (laughs) Exactly. Well, how about this? So, um, um, at the, about the, at, at, at roughly the same time, my wife was pregnant and we went from living downtown. Like I lived downtown with a musician to getting married and having a kid, a pregnant wife into the suburbs. And like, I was going crazy. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like. Cause used to, I lived down, you know, I'd just be like, all right, where are we going tonight? Then you're like, all right, where are we going tonight? Like, and suddenly it's like, your life has changed drastically. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know what to do. So like Vernon would be like, Hey, you, you want to come on the radio? I'm like, please. Yes. I'd love, like, I got nothing else to do. I'm sitting in the suburbs alone, miserable <laughs> with a pregnant wife. You know, like, your whole life is <laughs> over, you know? And so I was, um, so I, I started going on with him and then I would go on other places, talk about the tigers. And, um, then he got, you know, a uh, a show that was, I, think, I believe it was from 11 to one. On Sports yeah, and at some
0: point you were his co-host for a while.
1: Well, what, what, for, it started with, um, we had Gary Parish Wednesdays. I'll never forget this. That was the way it was branded Gary Parish Wednesdays, And I would just come in and just sit in for two hours on Wednesday. Yeah. Gary, We had it sponsored Gary. And like my dad's company sponsored it.
0: Now, right? I was a delivery driver at the time, like during the day. So right. I, I listened to you guys all right. the time. So we, had Gary,
1: And so then we expanded Gary Parish Wednesdays Wednesdays into, I was going to be his co-host. Yeah. And I was his co-host very briefly. Like, uh, because we had this show at at 7.30 from 11 to 1. He went over there. He was the only show on that station and he just wanted to keep his same time slot going. Maybe it was like 11 to 2, something like that, or 10 to 1, something like that. That's
0: about when I started listening to you guys right right at this time.
1: And so I was his co-host. Well, then the station hires this, this guy to come in from out of town, like from Austin, Texas, and run the station. And... He was right. He said, why do we have a midday show, but no drive time show? Like, that's stupid. Like, if you're going to have a show here, you're gonna, it's going to be drive time. And yeah. that's when he moved from three to six, from, well, 10 to two to, or 10 to one to three to six. Well, when he moved to three to six, I was covering Tiger basketball and I'm at practice from three to six. I could no longer be his co-host, but I did, we worked out a deal where I would do 40 minutes a day with him. So I was from four 20 to five every day. I would join him. And then this is becoming a very long winded answer. But then um, uh, I I kept trying to get me and Calkins were trying to get a show, like a midday show or a morning show or something. And it just never happened. And at one point, George Lapidus was going to Calkins was co-hosting with Lapidus. I remember that. Right. And um, Lapidus was going to scale back, you know, to like one hour, two hours. I don't even know what it was, but it opened up two hours on that of that time slot and, uh, sports Boutique was going to hire me to come in and sit with Jeff. So it'd be Jeff and George for like an hour or two hours, whatever it was. And then me and Jeff for two hours. So I come back to Vernon and I said, um, I said listen i think i'm gonna go over there and do this thing and he, and he was trying to explain to me why i didn't want to do it giving me right. great, great career advice he's actually just been had nothing selfish. to do with his anti-56 yeah, right. b for he just actually like didn't want to lose me to sport 56 right but he was like oh, you're gonna hate that and finally i just said listen <laughs> all right stop telling me what i'm gonna hate because here's what i'm telling you i'm going to do it unless we get a show over here we'd rather do a show on the station with you um but unless that's gonna happen i'm gonna go get my own show over here as opposed to just be on the phone with you for 40 minutes a day the next day these corporate guys from seattle fly in they meet with jeff and i at the weston and jeff and i decided we already had the basically an offer on the table from sports 56 we knew exactly what i we were going to be making yeah and uh, we said all right listen we'll just ask these guys for crazy amounts of money relatively speaking the am talk radio and uh they'll say no and then we'll do the thing sports Fifty Six and be fine so we asked for these ridiculous amounts of money and they said okay like within 20 <laughs> minutes and they signed us these stupid contracts and that's how the jeff and gary show started over at seven thirty. from that um we i you know and i'll skip a bunch of parts to get to this part but at one point i decided um, all right, let's, let's we've been talking to 92.9 back and forth and we wanted to do either a morning show or a mid or a midday show. Just bring it to FM. Yeah. And Dan Barron, who's my boss here now, he said, listen, well, Mike and Mike does really good ratings. So we don't want a morning show. We don't want to mess that up. And uh, a midday show. He didn't he wanted a, he wanted a drive time show one way or another. His first local show. He wanted it to be drive time. Yeah, he said. And I don't want it to be mornings because Mike and Mike. I want it to be afternoons. And uh, so, yeah, like if you guys want to do an afternoon show, well, let's talk the at the about the same time Calkins was and I can talk about this cuz we've talked about it. He, yeah. he was going through a divorce. And he's got three young boys and he's got to pick them up from school and take care of them after school and stuff like that. I so he just could not do a uh, a local show. So what we came up with was to do the Gary Parish show with Jeff Calkins, attach his name to it, make him a presence on the show every day. Yeah. But really attach his name to it for advertising purposes for because I was even though it was the Jeff and Gary show, and I was, at this point, at CBS, because I'd left to go to CBS in 2006. Um, locally, he was still the much bigger name. He was the guy whose face was in the cover of the commercial people all the time, or at least the cover of the sports page. So we attached his name to Yeah, it. he's
0: the guy who goes to the Olympics right, and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah. so
1: we said, okay, it'll be the Gary Parish show with Jeff Calkins, and I'll host it. And they really just took a chance, because there was no evidence. Yeah. There was really no evidence that I could host a show by myself. I had never done it. First time I ever did it was my first day here. Uh, but all that ha- So I guess... The long, long answer to that question is: <laughs> I started being a guest and co-hosting with Vernon while I was at the Commercial Appeal. Then I went to CBS, and then I got my own radio show with Jeff and I. After that, and then this show started, you know, after the 2010, I guess it was. So it, it all just sort of it started in one place, happened in another. The CBS commercial appeal to CBS thing happened in the middle. It's been a, it's been a wild sort of weird deal.
0: At what point do you feel like you got comfortable as a radio host and personality? I mean, how long did it take you?
1: When the ratings started to come in and suggested people are listening to this, you know. And I, mean,
0: I mean, we're talking here, though. I mean, it yes. took you. I mean,
1: oh, I got pretty comfortable, just like people asking me questions and that's what I would do for the long even when I was Vernon's co-host it was yeah. mostly believe mo- it or not yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah let me set me up to let me be me just ask me questions and sometimes he, even when I go on a show now he'll still just do that yeah. you know just sort of ask me questions and let me be me so i got really comfortable in that role but then i hosting is different because you're sort of, you can't just ask yourself questions all the time. Although I do do it with, uh, <laughs> with, with, um, whatever it is. We, uh, believe it or not, I guess we still do believe it or not. Uh, yeah. So I, you can sort of you know, invent ways <laughs> to do it, but, um, you are sort of hosting the guiding the show. And there are some parts of the show that are going to become less about you than they are the guests you're speaking with. And so yeah. I had to adjust to that, but I was still a little self-conscious about it. Um, uh, until the ratings started to come in and and it 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 showed that people were listening and then honestly like i i think twitter getting big helped because you get this instant feedback and people are laughing with you and people are you can tell people are laughing with you and and uh you know i i can look across the glass and see like when brad's laughing or when he's not when something's working and when it's not right and at, at some point i got to where i feel I feel very comfortable just being me on the radio, but, but I needed out. I, I don't think I was confident enough, maybe just in general, but, um, confident enough to, to reach that. Like Vernon's just comfortable on his own period. Cause he just, even if he's failing, he doesn't <laughs> understand that. Like he's just confident. No, He will sell it. He's just confident in himself. Yeah. He, I don't know that I am though. It might appear that way when I'm on the radio. I don't, I'm not, actually very self-confident no i think
0: there's a i think there's a vulnerability to you I that, have, that yeah. verno maybe doesn't he possess doesn't, like right. he, he's kind of like the arrogant character yeah. on the radio and, and i and can
1: play that character some but i do think there are for people who listen a lot they understand that i have incredible insecurities and, and that yeah. I'm, i've got my own issues going on that are a mess and uh and i i think that i at least people tell me that that's part of the Appeal to yeah, it on some yeah, level, yeah, totally, totally. But I needed the reassurance. Came with like, listen, let me be me. I let me do my show. I know what I'm doing. That came with I needed reassurance in tangible ways: ratings, advertisers, dollars, contract extensions, awards. It's yeah. silly and shallow as that stuff sounds. It well, sort it's, of I needed it, that stuff. It is to, meaningful. Yeah, I, I needed yeah. that stuff to reassure me. Like this is working. Okay, I can I can do this. I don't know that I can do you know a lot of other things but i feel like i can do this and uh and but but it took a little while sure it did Do you ever find
0: yourself, and I think, I think Verno does this more than anyone locally anyway, but do you, I feel like sometimes he sort of exaggerates his personality in order to be incendiary or whatever. Do you ever find yourself like sort of embellishing yourself on the radio in order to make it funnier, to make a point better? I mean, like,
1: yeah, like I, I, uh, like I tell these stories and they are, the heart of them are always true, but do I? You know, uh, add, a, <laughs> add a sentence here, add yeah. a moment there. Yeah, you know, like uh, at the end of the day, it's the Gary Parrish show. You put on a show, you know. And um, I, I, embe- I embellish. Like I'll have that arrogant moment, which is real. You know, that's real too. Yeah. Um. Uh, but but I also, you know, um, match it with enough moments of like
0: poking fun at I'm yourself, self deprecating, yeah. and
1: I'm, I'm 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 being brutally honest about. Um, personal issues that I think people sort of know when, when I'm, when one or the other is there and that both are probably there at all times on some level. I, um, to the extent that I embellish or get riled up or whatever, um, I'll do it for the sake of a story, but Mm -hmm. I I will tell you, I've never done this and I wouldn't, I will never do this. I will never have fake, um, (laughs) <laughs> like uh, anger or, or you know, I will never be riled up about something that doesn't genuinely bother me. Like, I'm not just going you know, to, you know, it's so easy to do radio, particularly in this market where you have a whole bunch of different fan bases, Alabama, Arkansas, oh, yeah, it, Tennessee. It's easy
0: to be insightful, I If would you think.
1: wanted to, just come on and say... What happened to Tennessee over the weekend is an embarrassment and everybody in that football <laughs> program should be fired. Five three five three seven, seven seven. You can do that all the time. I've never done that. I, right. I never I think one of the big misconceptions, maybe not with radio, but certainly with me sometimes. Although I don't think it's a misconception with me, but people will say this all the time. You'll hear this. Oh, he's just trying to get callers. Oh, he's just saying that because he wants to get callers. First off, I don't really even take callers that much um, because I only have two hours and I like myself talking. But um, I've never said something just to get callers. That's not what I do. And um, uh, so do I think Vernon has sometimes done that? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think most guys have. But that that is, for better or worse, I don't... I'm never just trying to get callers. Um, I'm just trying to... You know, and same way with my writing. So, well, you're just trying to get licks or sell, uh, get clicks or sell newspapers. You're trying to break what, a story yeah. no matter what. I, I'm trying to, here's what I, everything I say, and I'll be, try to be funny and make you laugh. And uh, my goal has always been can I make somebody laugh? Can I make somebody think? Can I tell somebody they didn't, something they didn't know before? That's kind of what I try to do. And so I'll never try to get callers or I'll never try to get clicks within a column. What I try to do when I offer my opinion whether it's at CBS or on the radio, I'm just trying to be right. I just want to yeah. be right. At the end of the day, I have a, a, a desire and a need to be as right about as much stuff as I can be. And so it would never make sense to me to say something that I didn't genuinely believe just for the sake of trying to get college or something like that. So I never, ever, ever do that.
0: Well, we've, we've already talked for like an hour or so <laughs> I've, and, I, and I've asked you like three questions, but um, I guess there's a couple more things I want to hit on quickly sure. if you don't mind. I'm fine. Um, because I know you got to be on the air in like an yeah, hour. Yeah, right? we'll
1: get to that. We'll get to that. You
0: got it. You got to be on the air soon. Um, but I, I do want to touch a little bit on the perception at least of you and verno competing for Mm -hmm. a while when you switch stations like tell me a little bit just like how did all that play out and (laughs) and do you feel do you feel like there was genuine competition or was there or was it ever a weird strain on your friendship to be competing with each other it
1: was it was never we it it was accidental we were never supposed to compete against each other what happened there is he had an afternoon show at 7 30 and jeff and i had that midday show yeah Earlier I said that Jeff and I decided to like talk to 92.9, but that was all um, sort of moved that direction because at one point, Remember when I told you they were paying us a lot of money over there, like yeah, stupid yeah. money? Well, it was. It was stupid money. They didn't have a sales staff to actually produce this no, type of revenue. I, I remember
0: walking through those empty offices over there's there. There's nobody there. There was no one. Yeah, yeah.
1: So what these geniuses <laughs> who ran this company decided to do is pay the talent, but have but never pay salespeople to have a way to create revenue. Like over here, there's a whole other side of the building with like 30 salespeople. Yeah. So they can pay us and then go use those people to produce revenue to make it worth their while. This company, of the other place, they didn't have that. So they paid Jeff and I money that we didn't deserve to make on an AM radio station. And they paid Vernon money he didn't deserve to make on an AM radio station. Like, I can remember talking, like, I'm buddies with Drake and Zeke here in town. Yeah. And I could, they'd, they'd ask me about, like, so what are you guys making? What is Vernon making? And I'd tell them. They'd go, on a, on that station? How can you make that money on that station? So it was net we were never supposed to be making what we were making. Um, so Vernon's contract was coming up. And he had talked to these people about it and he was like, listen, his wife was pregnant. And I can tell the story because Vernon's told, I think in parts not all his parts are. I think are, between the two of you, you've both pretty yeah, much Not all his parts are accurate, <laughs> but, yeah. but I'll tell you, I'll give you the real version. So his <laughs> wife was pregnant and he basically went to these people who yeah. run the company and he said, listen, my contract's up December 31. My wife's pregnant. Um, he had a job offer from, let's just say another market. He said, listen, they're offering money. It's, it's good money. It's secure, but I don't want to move. My wife's from here. We love it here, but uh, you know, I don't know how things are going. And if you guys aren't going to be able to give me you know, a, a contract that's better or at least the same as the one I." I've already got that I need to really no, Vernon. We love you. You're our guy. We love you. You're a guy. Right. So he was like, all right, cool. So he turns down that job offer like in late July, August, something like that. Well, then it comes time to get the new contract done. They present him with a contract like early December of that year. And it is like maybe a 30, 40% pay cut, which you can't have that. No. Well, keep in mind just two months earlier, they told him, don't worry about a thing. Yeah. So he is furious. And they, so they put this job offer on the table and they say, um, they say, uh, and he, he, you know, he is, he's hot-headed. Sure. <laughs> he told them to go F themselves and basically threw it back at their face. And th- the next day, they call me. One of the guys who worked over there, he, he said, hey, after your show, we're still doing a midday show over there. Jeff and I are. He said, um, hey, I want to meet with you after the show. Let's go to Blue City because the studio's down there downtown. He said, let's go yeah. to Blue City, get some lunch. It's cool. Just sit down and he says, hey, I want you to do uh, a new show for us. And I want it to be your show. I don't even know that I want Calkins to be a part of it. But here's what I can pay you, and it's going to be three to six Every afternoon, I looked at it and I was like, Vernon does three to six every afternoon. So what's going on? He said, well, yeah, listen, don't go tell him I'm talking to you. But, um, you know, we presented him with a contract. He doesn't want the contract. And so we're moving on. How is that going to work? The the don't tell him I'm talking to you. It doesn't work. He's my best friend. So I walked out of Blue City and I called Vernon. I'm like, what is going on? He's like, oh, mother. You know, and they they told me everything was fine. They're not fine. So Vernon and I are talking about it. And he's back in contact now with this other market that had offered him a job previously. And they filled that job, but they're, they think they can make something work. Fast forward a week or two, they're going to make something work. Yeah. And so um, he says, listen, so we come with this plan. He's like, listen, um, I'm going to keep dragging on this 730 thing up until the end of December. I'm going to go to this other market. I I think I know which market, but should we not say it? Birmingham is the market. So he's going to go to Birmingham. I'm going to go to Birmingham. It's good money, good spot, strong station. I'm going to go to Birmingham. Yeah. He said, you and Jeff go to 92.9. Then at the end of December, we'll just hit 730 with, um, you know what, F you. Vernon's going to Birmingham. Parrish and Calkins are going to 92.9. They've got nobody to host. No, they still got... They got Walken, dude. They had... I think they had Walken maybe at the time. I don't even know what the time was. I think this was actually... No, this is before they had Walken even. Oh, Walken replaced you guys. He replaced us when we left. As he always does. So, yes. And so... um, so the plan was then Vernon was gonna come be on my, Vernon was gonna help me get all his advertisers in Memphis to come with me to this show. Okay, he was gonna be a presence on my show in Memphis. I was gonna be a presence on his show in Birmingham, and this is the way it was gonna work. Seven thirty was just gonna crumble. Yeah, sounds perfect. So I come over here. The story I told earlier: Jeff and I get that three to six uh, or four to six gig over here. It's gonna be the Gary Perry show with Jeff Caucus. Blah 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 blah. The thing in Birmingham fell apart on Vernon, so he basically had to negotiate a new deal where he could stay at 730. So then, but then like my deal's already done. So at the last minute, his thing fell apart. So then you get to January 1, and Vernon's on three to six over there, gonna continue doing his show, and Jeff and I are here four to six doing this show. So right. people are like, oh, y'all left to compete against Vernon. The reality is we were never supposed to compete against each other. He was supposed to be in Alabama. I was going to be on his show. He was going to be on my show. Uh, well, but, uh, but accidentally, I mean. We you, did end up competing against him. So yeah. here's what I would say. And I think he would agree with this, especially now that he's over here. <laughs> There's not much competing. You know, you can't, yeah. you, you can't be on AM 730 and compete against 92.9 FM. You just can't. Well, and, because you can actually hear, hear it. Right. You can hear the station. Even the ratings, like, you know, were like, like it, like they, it was not a competition. Now That doesn't mean that people didn't listen to him. I'm just saying, here's what I would say. If you take the, a me, let's just say that I do a mediocre show and he does the best show ever. For the sake of the argument. Not in yeah. reality. We're never going to say that. But for the sake of the conversation. <laughs> I'm just going to cut that one little bit. <laughs> right. Um, And you take, so, and, and you take the, a mediocre movie mm-hmm. and you put it on NBC. Yeah. And then you take the best movie ever and you put it on channel 431. It didn't matter that that best movie ever is the best movie ever. Whatever's on NBC is going to get watched by millions of more people than that. That is essentially what happens when you're trying to compare... Yeah. 92.9 FM to 7.30 a.m. So, um, you know, I, I honestly, and I don't mean this as a side, I, like I, I'm, I helped him get here or at least can help convince him to come here. Yeah. I think he's great. And I, I never viewed him as real competition because in any sort of tangible way, he wasn't. You know, it was like, sort of
0: like the he had he had a he brought a, a knife to a gunfight.
1: Yes, and like it's not yeah. even my gun. It's ninety two. Yeah. it's there. It's ninety two gun. It's an organizational it's, thing. Yes, yeah. like you can't. He so I never even like. I never felt threatened in any way, or, because like there was no like he like and, and it and let me say this just to be clear reverse the roles and it's the exact same thing he would dominate me and I, he'd be on ninety nine I'd be on seven thirty he would dominate me and listeners and ratings and awards and all that stuff and just because more people would be exposed to him and and so I think we both sort of settled into um, I'm gonna do what I'm doing and it's on this level you're gonna do what you're doing and. And more people as many people don't know about it or are hearing it but you're making your money so like do your thing and we just sort of settled into that groove uh, but it was nice to finally be able to get him over here so that um you know, that's all we heard for years. Not all we heard. I don't want to. Well, I'm sure. It. I mean, I'm sure. But a lot of people. Yeah, but a lot of people would say, hey, say that. Are you like people would see us out? We'd be out like having beers. Oh man, I can't believe you all are together. Like we were. We never had a strained relationship. But we it kind was, of booked you guys to host that Rock for Love show yeah, together right. that one
0: year because I mean it was like you know it was kind of a weird. We thought you know like hey maybe people will be like ah hey, no you are right no, Jeff, no, it was, no Chris and Gary are together what's no, this we were always together
1: yeah you know yeah. our wives were always together it was never right. like that but it was nice to sort of because. One of the things we'd hear all the time is, um, man, I wish you guys could be on the radio together. Or I wish I didn't have to choose between one or the other. Flip back and forth. Yeah. Uh, well, now we've created a scenario with the help of Intercom that where you don't have to flip back and forth. And we are part of each other's show. Like I'm on his show once a week. He's on my show once a week. And uh, it's fun to be doing that. Uh, and, and we're having a good time with it.
0: It seemed like the writing was on the wall when Hasseltine left. Um, like i like, I sort of smelled like, I mean, I had, yeah. I had not talked to Vernon in a year or so, whatever. But when Hasseltine left, it was like, man, the 7:30's got to be out.
1: It was, it wasn't the 7:30 thing was never sustainable. And th- yeah. and I tried to talk to him about that. And, and this is where I think you know, like he was a little naive about it for a while. <laughs> you know, he was like, you know, um, I don't think this is a secret. He sold his own show. Like he went out, the advertisers you heard on his old show, those were, he created those and he kept that money. Yeah. I mean, I think he, he he made good money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, when we would talk about it, he would sell it as like, he was, he owned his own show.
1: He was independent now, you know, he didn't have to answer to anybody. That was all true. Yeah. But the thing I tried to stress to him is that not that I'm sort of some sort of business consultant or know anything about anything, but it just seemed like common sense that that's not going to last forever. Cause at some point people who own that radio station, it's not that big company anymore. They sold it to, like, some local guys. Yeah. And though they were letting Vernon sell his own show and do his own show and make his own money... What are they getting out
0: of it, is what I
1: wonder? Nothing, and that's why it... I mean, are they just
0: hoping that people are going to buy advertising on the Jim Rome show or whatever? uh, I mean, uh, that's on your show, on your uh, station, right? Ultimately,
1: the question you just asked me is the question that they were going to, at some point, ask themselves. Why are we doing this? Why are we paying for the studio, owning the station, letting this guy make money, and like we're not... Really profiting from it in a real way? Yeah. Why are we, that's a bad business model? Like the i uh, like the idea that Vernon in those three hours over there could be making more money than maybe the station was making in the other twenty one hours per day. That's not a business model that's sustainable. No, and at some clearly. point, they were going to come to that conclusion yeah and I think at some point he recognized that as well and realized also that you know it, it's time to do something different like it, it became frustrating for him there were times where he was like off for a few days because the transmitter was down or whatever and that, that, that kind of stuff becomes frustrating when you care as much about what you do as he does about what he does he is passionate and he, he works hard like he works really hard at what he does um and then you can't do the show because like it's something completely out of your control very small time as down, um, it becomes increasingly frustrating. And, and I think uh, all of those things contributed to, to us finally being able to, to get him over here and and he and I being able to work together again.
0: Well, man, I think we about, I think we about run the course here as far as what we can do, but I do want to ask you one more thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, what else do you feel like you have left to achieve or to accomplish? I mean, where do you, I mean, here you are, you're I mean, a successful radio host. You're a national sports columnist. I mean, where else do you want to take this? I
1: don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I, because my my instincts are to always chase, you know, yeah. like always want more. Like I remember earlier, I told you that when I was in high school, if you'd asked me my dream, it would have been to cover Tiger basketball at the commercial pit. And, well, I got that yeah, when I was like 24 years old. I had that. Yeah. So I achieved what, what, even if it was a small time dream or whatever kind of dream, that was my dream. And I achieved it at a pretty young age. And um, so, but I was like, it's almost as soon as I got it, I was like, well, I want more. This sucks. Give me more. And I've always been sort of wired that way. Like, and then, and then when you're the tiger basketball writer, my, like my job was like, I can remember thinking if I could ever get a job at one of those national websites and covering college basketball, that's all (laughs) I'd ever want to do. And then I get that. And it's like, I want more, give me more, you know? And I don't think that that's a healthy way to live, you know, because you never enjoy what you got. And I have been lucky enough to carve out a pretty nice life for myself. I don't always appreciate it. I'm not the best at that. Uh, but I'm trying as I get older, I'm 35 now. And, um, you know, I still have my moments and they're too often to uh, Too often more often than I'd like um, But I do think you know I've reached a point where You know, I know sports writers who would kill to be able to move back home be around their fam- You know f- friends and family and parents and all that stuff. Well, I got that and I know uh, Some people are like, yeah, okay. I get to live in my hometown, but I don't have a national outlet. Well, I got that you know, and, do you feel like,
0: uh, just a quick yeah. aside, do you feel like being in Memphis is a hindrance to you in any way to like I, covering national?
1: No, well, I, I think it has prevented me from doing a couple of things. There was a, a an op, I, I do believe, like CBS Sports Network, which is part of my contract, and, and I am on it. I'm on television there. Yeah. Uh, some, often. Um, if I lived in New York which is where their uh, studio is. You'd be on more. I think I'd have a show you know, on it. I think you'd Inside College Basketball with Gary Parish. I mean, I, do, I think that that, because I'd be right there. And you don't, you don't have any sort of desire for that? I do have a desire for that, um, for all those things, because that's where I do. Because like I said, I, I'm wired to want more. So what's the next thing? Well, what
0: do you, how do you, and how do you keep that in check also?
1: You have to look around and go, what are you chasing? Like, what do you need? Do you need more money? Yeah. You know, do you need more, you know, enough people know my face and people <laughs> hear my voice. Like, what are you after? You know, do I really want to uproot my family, uh, change my cost of living in a remarkable way yeah, to go, yeah. what, be on television once a week as opposed to once a month? You know, like, you know, I had another opportunity maybe to move to LA and it's like, you know, or, or I had an opportunity to move to, you know, to Dallas and Chicago's so radio stuff. And, and, uh. First off, my insecurities start to creep back in. Can I do this? Am I good enough? Like the Gary Parish show works in Memphis, but would it work in Dallas? You know, on the day that uh, the Cowboys, you know, the day after the Cowboys lose a game, what if I end up talking about Kate Middleton? Am I gonna get run <laughs> off the air? Like, dude, the Cowboys just lost. Talk about the Cowboys. Football, football, football. Yeah. Like I I don't know that I would I don't know that I'm fit for that. Like again, earlier I told you I think I know what I'm good at and what I'm not. I don't know that I'd be good at that in that setting in that market. So I think your insecurities start to creep in and then you also just start to go, What do you want out of life? You know, like start on some level appreciating what you got as opposed to always thinking about what you don't or what you might could have one day if you went. There. And so again, I'm not the best at that, but I, I try, I've been conscious of it and tried to. And so it doesn't mean I'm finished, you know, uh, uh aspiring, right. You know, right. I, I, I want it all, but I've, I'm well past the point of foolishly chasing career goals or career changes, because if, all i do for the next 10 years or 20 years or 30 years is exactly what i'm doing right now it is more Than ninety nine percent of the people who decide they want to get into this line of work ever get to do, and and I think uh, that's
0: a hard realization for people to accept. You know, ambitious people especially. Yeah,
1: and I have to I have to remind myself of that. And so, listen, I was just bitching at my agent like uh, a week ago about some stuff, like why can't we get this done or whatever. You know, (laughs) so like I'm talking about something in a way that makes me sound balanced when in reality I'm not. It's a struggle, but I do.
0: But you do balance your in balance
1: yes i'm aware of it right and and for maybe the first time in my life that i'm i'm aware that i don't need all of that that maybe you should just enjoy what you got and then see what else happens and and my career path has suggests that if you if you work hard and I've tended over the years to get, I've caught, breaks, you know, and, and yeah. some have been accidental. Some of them have been intentional, but good things have happened. And so, um,
0: well, and they've all happened because you've put yourself in that position on one way level, or the other,
1: one way or the other. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm going to continue to aspire and I don't know where I'll be in three years because three years ago, I didn't think I'd be here. Um, but, um, but, but I'm also trying to convince myself that, you know, if it never gets bigger than, than where it's at now um, that's okay. You know, that's, that's all right. I've done, I, I, to the extent that you can make it in the line of work that I've chose, I've, I've made it, it's worked. Yeah. And, uh, and I think I'd, I'd be really stupid not to, not to recognize that, you know, as my father, you know, gets up every morning at 5.00 AM to go run a meat packing company, or as my mom get, gets up every morning to go deal blackjack and tunica, you know, like I'm I,
0: sure you hear all the time out at the bar, man, I wish I could talk about
1: that's Call all you ever hear from people. Yeah. And, and now there's another side to that because, you know, I, I, I had a guy recently say that to me. Like, man, like, I'd kill to be able to go to all these games and, you know, whatever. And I said, what do you do for a living? He was like, I, you know, I work at the bank. I was like, so what, like, what do you do? You get up in the morning, you go to work? He's like, yeah. I said, like, what time do you get off? He's five o'clock. So what do you do at 515? Why well, drive home? What do you do at 545? Well, like, whatever I want. Right. Yeah. Like, I like that. Then that sounds appealing to me because I'm never off work.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, and like,
1: you know, like I, he
0: doesn't have to miss his family for days on end for road trips or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or like, you know, he doesn't have to be, um, You know, at an eye exam yesterday on the day where it breaks that Roy Williams has had a a tumor removed from his kidney. Well, I got to now I got to brush out of the eye exam. Like I got to cut my eye exam off. What do you
0: tell? Excuse me, Dr. Roy Williams has got cancer. I've I've been I've
1: been uh, at Disney World (laughs) with my family and had to leave to go write breaking news. You know, like um the, you know, and, and that's got to be. I mean, is that it's it's impossible. It, yeah. it's the part where you start to go, "What am I doing? Like, why, why, why is my kid? We're in Orlando. We flew here. Why is my kid playing on the McDonald's playground while I'm sitting in a booth writing about Billy Donovan? Maybe taking the Orlando Magic job. Like, what is what, right? Like, why is this like? Why am I putting myself through this? But that is part of it. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that, for all the good things, there are some negatives to having this line of work. But you know, but would I trade jobs for most people I know? Not at all. And uh, and I I try to remind myself of that.
0: Well, man, it sounds like you're in a pretty good place with all this, and uh, uh,
1: it's day to day. Now come back and let's talk tomorrow, and I'll be like, you know what sucks, <laughs> but, uh, but you got an hour and a half tomorrow. Yeah, you know what, probably. Uh, but uh, no, it's uh, things are good, and, and I then I, if I don't always sound like I know that uh, deep down somewhere, I, I I know that, and so I try to try to remember it.
0: Well, cool man thank you
1: very much no, for doing this you're nice to talk to me and let me blab this I, am, long, whatever. I appreciate it and god bless anybody who has made it to the end of this thing if you listen to me for this long <laughs> you, you, you you got to i you, might edit it a little yes we'll you, see we'll see <laughs> uh, either way thanks brother i appreciate you talking to me thank you